3: Welcome to Bear in Mind, the official podcast of Cal Athletics. Here's your host, Todd McKim. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Bear in Mind, the official podcast of Cal Athletics. Big game week coming up, so uh, the entire three segments will be about the big game. We'll talk to one of the players a little bit later on and be joined in that last segment by... uh, One of the broadcasters of the Stanford Cardinal get to take on what Stanford's season has been like as we get ready for the 125th big game and the anniversary, 40th anniversary of the play. So a lot going on Saturday at Memorial Stadium. Joining us now is head coach Justin Wilcox. Tough weekend up in the state of Oregon. The Oregon State Beavers are playing really well. You mentioned it last week, that they're playing defense as well or better than maybe anybody in our league. And, you know, when you watch them, They just seemed to be really good at all three levels there. They took advantage of a couple of mistakes. And then offensively, um, it just seemed like, and you can look at the chart and tell us, but first half it seemed like Oregon State constantly was in second and five or less. It was like five yards at least on first down. And people always talk about third down. And for Oregon State, a lot about fourth down because they go for it on fourth down a lot. But first down was so important in this game because they were able to kind of stay in rhythm and, you know, make it difficult on the defense to decide whether they're going to pass or run it on second and third down.
4: Yeah, I think you bring up a great point. Uh, we talked about that with our team and it became evident if we were, uh, if we played well on first down defense, we were going to have a good shot at getting off the field. And if you don't, uh, as you mentioned, they're in second and five or second and six, and then it's third and, third and three, third and two, fourth and one. And they're really good in those situations. That's how they play. So we didn't do a good enough job in the drives uh, and a number of those drives on the first down defense. Um, you know, they, they did execute some fourth down plays on us. They got us on a, uh, a post that they threw with, um, the, uh, wildcat guy who had made a, a great play and got us in zero, which, you know, trying to stop the run. And then they had a couple more conversions on fourth down. Uh, but overall we did, we didn't tackle well enough. We didn't play physical enough on the first downs. We had some, uh, Missed tackles uh, on the perimeter. Our pass defense was not good enough uh, in a game like that where we needed to win one-on-ones in a pass game if we were going to play more run-heavy. Um, and ball was on the ground once. We had a shot to pick it up, didn't. And so just really couldn't seem to, to catch and carry any momentum. Had some stops and made them punt and, but, and had the, the scoop and score. But, uh, you know, over time, We had a hard time carrying any momentum on defense.
3: Yeah, you had a couple of drives uh, into their territory. Had, you know, real close to having a touchdown with Maven Anderson in the the end zone. Jack made a phenomenal throw on that when he's under pressure. He he put it on the money, but they made a good play to kind of break that one up. And then you mentioned the fourth down play that they had with Jack Coletto. I mean, he is a former quarterback. I mean, people forget that a little bit. But he made a really good throw. But the receiver makes a phenomenal reception as well. So, you know, their guy makes a great reception you know, and at our end, it just gets broken up at the very ends. You know, some of those early in the game certainly changed the tenor of things.
4: Yeah, absolutely. If we could have found a stop early, um, you know, if we, you know, the second series throwing the interception hurt us, uh, give them the short field there. And then the punt return yeah. touchdown was a really big play. We were backed up, um, had to punt it, got a decent, not great punt, and then they returned it for a touchdown. So that just takes, uh, you know, it's a momentum changer. And uh you know we were able to uh you know get a score on defense later on and you know make it 21-7 but we just could never we couldn't capture the momentum and uh you got to give them respect uh due respect um but we we should have played much better we thought
3: what is your rule of thumb or is there one when it's, you, know, you had the the scoop and score you know you see other games and, and other guys are just pouncing on the ball sometimes it's scoop and score you guy tries to pick it up do you have a, a rule, you know, if it's behind the line of scrimmage, you're trying to scoop and score. If it's downfield, you just pounce on. What's what's kind of the mantra there?
4: Yeah. Uh, when it's behind the line, you do want to make an effort. But uh, we talk a lot about city and country fumbles. You know, city fumble, there's a lot of other people around, and you mm-hmm. want to just get on the ball. And a country fumble, where it's out in the open, you want to, scoop. you know, give yourself a chance to scoop and score. But at the end of the day, the number one priority is to get the ball. Yeah.
3: Your team's still been remarkable in the turnover ratio, like plus nine. You've been really good in that department. Uh, and you haven't turned it over all that much. I think I, I think maybe you've only lost one fumble this year. I mean, which which is remarkable. You're still on pace to reset the record that you sent a year ago. What's been the key?
4: Uh, I think habits, uh, ball security habits, I think are, you know, Aristotle Thompson uh kind of leads the charge. We always give uh, duties to the assistant coaches on kind of what they're in charge of for the team. So like, you know, who talks about tack? We all talk about tackling, but somebody always in charge of tackling and presentations to the team and on offense, the ball security is Aristotle Thompson. And I think the drill work, uh, the emphasis, the habits and how we talk about protecting the football and where it is on your body. uh, And I think those things matter. Uh, Ultimately, you know, if there was any one, coaching point or drill like everybody in the country would be doing it so it's uh there's no magic to it but it's uh habits and emphasis and all the, and then the the players uh taking that to the game
3: then over the weekend uh, you decided to make a couple of coaching changes but I need to talk about that the the why and and the the timing of it all uh yeah. could you fill us in on what went into making those decisions that yeah. was some really I mean really I mean really great people I've known Bill Musgrave for a long long time love being around him Angus, I've known for a short time. He's got a great personality, but you were forced to make a few changes. Tell us about that.
4: Yeah, just extremely difficult. I mean, you know, people talk about this thing. Well, it's not personal, uh, but it is, you know, it it feels very personal. However, at the end of the day, my role in in this job is to make decisions in the best interest of the team. And uh, there is timing is taken into consideration. And I know there'd be, you know, there's always there's never a great time uh for things like this um but it was taken into consideration there are reasons for it i'm not necessarily going to get on get into all of that uh but it is uh it was a cumulative decision i have a ton of respect for both of those individuals um and it is it is difficult uh but at the end my role uh as the head coach here is to make decisions in the best interest of the team and that's what i did
3: all right let's move on from that and uh, or in conjunction with that, uh, you know, Bill's the offensive coordinator. So he was calling the plays. Mm-hmm. Uh, Angus in charge of the offensive line. So how do you split things up, you know, during the week and then also the day of the game?
4: Yeah. So uh, it'll be collaborative. Uh, Mike Seffelt has been here in the building. He'll do a great job uh, working with the O-line in meetings and on the practice field. Um the myself and I'm kind of helping the offense in any way that I possibly can to be a support role there we also have GAs and uh we have analysts who can help us off the field we could also activate analysts now um onto the field so it'll be a collaborative effort uh in in every way in terms of game planning game day uh we're putting the game plan together now uh the coaches have been fantastic you know jeep organizing things when With uh, AT and Jeep and Burl and uh, those guys on third downs and and the run game, so it's been a very collaborative environment this week, and it'll continue to be that way through the game and next week. All right, we got the
3: 125th big game coming up on Saturday. Um, Let's take a look at Stanford. And when I've watched them this year, but when I just looked at their schedule, a couple of things popped up to me. They played all the top teams in our league this year. Okay. So they've, I think they've probably had the most difficult schedule in our league. They started out with a victory over Colgate, um, which ironically does not have a dentistry school, but you'd think they would they would have one, Colgate. But then they go down the gauntlet, and the one thing that stands out is they beat Notre Dame, okay, at Notre Dame. So there's that comparison that people will look towards both of those games, you know, your game and, and Stanford's game, both low scoring. But when you pop on the tape and look at Stanford's season –
4: what do you see? Very capable team, well-coached, like you would expect. Um, They have talented players on their team. Uh They've had an injuries as well. And, you know, th- this league, is week in, week out, is incredibly difficult. And there's some close games uh, that most of us play in, you know. Uh And if you don't find ways to win, then, you know, you don't have the number of wins that you want. And so I think that's probably – you know, fair to say for them. They don't have, I, you don't look at them and and uh, watch them play whether it's scheme and players and think, well, that, you know, their record is what it is. And so I think we're probably similar in that regard. We had some close losses and we know it's going to be a very difficult game and uh, I have a ton of respect for their players and their coaches.
3: Again, you just, you know, look at comparative games. I mean, they, they had a game against Oregon State that they had won and just about sealed, but Oregon State found a way to make a big play with 13 seconds left and won that one. So uh, they're very capable in that regard. And the quarterback, Tanner McKee, you look at him before the season, people were saying, you know, one of the better quarterbacks in the league, and maybe he is. He, he You know, the injuries have hurt him, certainly in the run game, losing Casey Filkins and E.J. Smith, who were really good uh, running backs. But he's got a big arm. We've seen that in the past. He's big. Uh, he can run. We, we, see, we saw that against Utah just this past week. He can get out of the pocket, make some plays. Give us your evaluation of him.
4: Uh, very talented thrower and can run big, tall guy sees the game really well. They, they have run, you know, traditional runs. They have kind of a long ride RPO game that they employ and then drop back pass. And he does a, a good job with it. He can throw the ball. And uh, I think he's a very talented player.
3: You, you mentioned something right there. Uh, they do the RPO and they're a little bit like Wake Forest. If anybody's watched Wake Forest yeah. play this year, the quarterback and that exchange with the running back is a little bit longer than you normally see. What What is the advantage for the offense and what makes it difficult for the defense?
4: Uh, yeah, it is uh, significant. And I you hit it on the head, Todd. You are you know your college football. Wake Forest is the other team that employs this uh, on a regular basis. And that long ride RPO, they're forcing the defense to make a decision at some point. You know, the longer that ball is in the belly, like, you know, what are you going to do? Are you going to – because there's also guys running routes, so do you want to play the run and have you know open up the windows in the pass game, or are you gonna you know be slow to the run and he's gonna hand the ball off and now he's got a full, you know a head start on you in the run game. So it's uh, it's a good schematic and they do it well. It takes a lot of practice because there's decision making for the QB and the O line, the running back in there. Uh,
3: their, their kicker is the only kicker in the league that has yet to miss a field goal. He's 14 for 14, and the bizarre nature of his season is that he didn't kick any or try any in the first three games. And he hasn't tried any or made any in the last two games. So all 14 came in a period in the middle of the season of five games, He had five in one game against Arizona state. Um, so that, I mean, that's a factor in a close game that can make a difference.
4: Absolutely. He's a good kicker. Um, yeah. He's uh, known about him for a long time and yeah, you, you want to make sure and try and keep him out of that field goal range. You know, obviously we, want to, we don't want to give up touchdowns, but you really want to keep him out of that field goal range because he's been he's been automatic.
3: Yeah, yeah. As, as long as fifty three yards this year. Talk about the hoopla that that goes around this game. I mean, it's it's a season into itself, and you have an opportunity to win the big game for the third time in four years. The last time the Bears actually defended the Axe was oh eight, and nine. So you get a chance to do something that hasn't been done for a while.
4: Yep, yeah, and I want our players to, you know, appreciate the the pageantry of the big game, one of the great greatest rivalries in sports. And so we'll talk about that, and there's uh, the interest and the passion for it is incredible, and that's a good thing. Uh, but ultimately, we just need to have really good practices so we can go out and play well. That's how we can honor the school and the big game. The best way is to go out and play good football, and we know it'll take good football to win.
3: Well, uh, hopefully you'll have a good week of practice, get some guys off that injury list back in the lineup. Um, enjoy the the uh, big game week because there's a lot going on. I mean, it's a special week. You know, it's a special week for everybody, fans, players, coaches, etc. So enjoy the week, but have a good game on Saturday, and we'll talk to you just before that. Thank you, Todd. All right, head coach Justin Wilcox. The Bears against the Stanford Cardinal will be on the air with a Bud Light tailgate show beginning at 1.30 with a kickoff shortly after 2.30 PM. Look around.
2: You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.
3: Joining me now is uh, sophomore tight end Jermaine Terry, who uh, one of the highest rated uh, players the Bears have had in recent years, although before we started the podcast, it's like the four-star hotel that... that, uh, Jermaine's in you're, you're with Jade Knott and Michael Sturdivant. I mean, holy smokes, that's that's quite a collection of talent. They're all on offense. Um, let's talk about first of all uh, getting back on track this week against Stanford. It's the big game. As you were growing up in Richmond, Kennedy High School, what were your recollections of big games between Cal and Stanford?
2: Uh, the big game definitely is huge. Things out of the Bay Area. Uh, something I would always watch on TV, especially highlights. We'll watch old big games, new big games, everything. It's just a, always a great environment, a great rivalry, and I'm happy to be a part of it now. Well, how many times have you watched the play? I've watched the play a ton of times. Actually, we actually have a uh, like a huge poster of the play, like and, uh, it's just talking about it, basically like the stats, and it's basically just gives us a little insight, and we see that every single day. We see the score and everything, so – Let's us know that this game is really something to play for.
3: It's got great history. One hundred twenty-fifth meeting between these two teams, dating back to the eighteen hundreds. Uh, you know, it's it's one of the longest rivalries in college football. I think it's second on the West Coast, only to Oregon at Oregon State. I mean, do you feel any different energy and importance to this game than any other week of the year?
2: Uh, I think. I think definitely with this being a big game, I think we just have to realign. We have to focus. Uh, We try to take every game uh, with the same amount of seriousness, but this game is for surely one that means a lot to a lot of people. It means a lot to us. We just want to make sure that we persevere. You know, uh, we've had some adversity this year, but we want to make sure that we come out victorious with this game because we want it, we need it, and we know that we're definitely able to do it. We just got to show it to the world, and that's what we're about to do this weekend. Do you feel any different
3: buzz on campus with the, the game being against a rival
2: school? Uh, Definitely. But actually, we have a GSI strike right now. So, campus is more so about that and uh, advocating for them and stuff. So, All right. that's really about it right now.
3: Yeah. Well, I, I'm sure by the time Friday rolls around and certainly the day of the game, we'll hopefully have a great student turnout. The students set the tone, I think, for the atmosphere and the ambiance. In, in a lot of sporting events, and hopefully they'll turn out
2: for an afternoon game, middle of
3: the afternoon. There's no excuses, right? 2.30 yeah. in the afternoon, everybody got
2: to uh, clear that slate, right? Yeah, we're going to have amazing weather, amazing turnout. I think the game sold out in two hours. So uh, it's about to be an amazing weekend. You know, we just got to make sure we lock in and just continue to have fun. That's really the Football is a sport we all play for fun. Uh, we just got to continue to do that, and everything's going to fall in order for us.
3: You know, in high school, you played uh, tight end. You played defensive you know, line, rush the passer a little bit. As a definitely. tight end uh, and a guy that's played defensive end, do you have a, a good feel for, for maybe what defensive
2: linemen like to do or edge rushers like to do and how to block them and, and how to approach them? Uh, definitely, definitely, for sure. Uh, I think playing both sides of the ball in high school gave me a lot of insight coming into uh, college. But I think more so just being with Jeep, being with the guys last year, the OGs, Colin Moore, Jay just Gavin Ron Walk, learning how to block. And just watching film really gave me a lot of a lot of the insight that I use uh, week to week now, and it's just been great to watch myself grow and improve. Uh, I still have a long way to go. I still have a a lot to grow, but uh, I'm down for a ride. I'm just going to continue to work and persevere and get to where I need to be and where I want to be.
3: Yeah, you mentioned last year watching some other guys. I mean, the the tight end room was about half filled with seniors who played really well. Jake Tonjes, you know, NFL guys. So. Uh, you had to kind of wait your turn a little bit and this year you've started every game you've yes, been sir. done a really good job in a blocking game you've got seven receptions we, we got to figure out a way to get you into the end zone man we got to get you into that <laughs> yes, end zone yes, somehow sir. right
2: yes sir yes sir right now uh, right now you know i'm just playing my part i'm trying to contribute the best way the best way i can i'm trying to uh, just make sure that i, I help the team uh, w- with the abilities that I do have. But uh, yeah, sitting behind those guys last year was a great opportunity for me to learn and grow. I felt like it was something I definitely needed. And uh, I'm just thankful for the opportunity to be here and play football because I think COVID just going through that and actually not playing like really showed me how much I need the game and how my life and how much I enjoy it. So I'm just grateful for the opportunity to come out here every day and work with a great group of guys.
3: No question about it. How'd you get to the uh, the number four? Tell us about how how number four ended up on your back.
2: Uh, So my freshman year of high school, I wore number four, and then uh, uh, sophomore, junior, senior year, I wore 14. But uh, actually, I really wanted 84, but it was kind of weird, because you don't want to go from 87 to 84, because I really liked Shannon Sharp growing up. But uh, I just decided, you know, I'm just going to chop off that one from that high school jersey and just rock (laughs) the four. And uh, it's just been great. I'm, I'm thankful for the opportunity to wear it. I think it's a huge thing, just a tight end being inside a single digit, let lets you know that you're doing something right, that you're well-respected and that, you know, you're working. I still have a long way to go. I'm just trying to uh, leave my imprint at Cal, and I'm trying to just work to be the best version I can be myself every day.
3: Yeah, you got the nickname Hometown Hero, obviously Kennedy High School in Richmond, not far. I mean, it's (laughs) a little more than a stone's throw from Cal, obviously, (laughs) but it's pretty darn close. You're very connected with the family uh, atmosphere here at Cal. Um, How important was it for you to stay at home? so that the folks that you have known all your life growing up had the chance to see you play?
2: That that was like the biggest reason I came to Cal. I, I love Cal's university, but Cal being as close as it was with the opportunity I couldn't pass up. Just my family being able to come to every single game, every single home game, and just watch me and me interact with them and, you know, kids back home, being able to see somebody from their neighborhood, somebody that grew up just like them you know, on a national stage at an amazing school, getting an amazing education. It's just been overall just great for me. It was just very important for me, definitely, because it's crazy because from my house, uh, my room was actually on, I would say what, on the east side of the house, and I could see the Campanile from my house. So <laughs> I would say I wake up and dream about cow, but um, it was definitely great. It's been an amazing opportunity, amazing experience for me, and I'm just thankful that I made this decision, and it's one of the greatest I've uh, made in my entire life.
3: You know, uh, during fall camp, when uh, we were talking to Jeep Christ, your position coach, he said, you remind him a little bit of Draymond Green. And and the, <laughs> you're laughing as, as I mentioned that because you've heard the story. Yeah. But but it wasn't necessarily because of athletic ability. It had to do with, you know, your body coming in, Draymond Green's body when he came from Michigan State into the NBA and how you both have really worked hard to sculpt your bodies to fit the sport that you're playing in uh you were what about 270 and some change last year what yeah. what, are you, what, what are you playing yeah. at now uh
2: right now I'm uh 250 255 just in between that range uh and it feels great
3: what did you do to uh, trim that 15 or so pounds
4: off
2: uh I think just being here uh being here for basically a year or two years I think just definitely being on that meal plan dieting better I think that was probably the biggest thing uh for me but uh I tried different things I tried like hot yoga uh play basketball here and there um just uh just really worked worked I had a goal that I set for myself and I was able to achieve that and get past that so that was just great but the the biggest thing was get with the strength staff tell them what I what I like I needed they uh told told me where they like I needed to be and we uh basically just came halfway and it was just all work in thankful for it. I'm definitely reaping the benefits out there now. I feel a lot more flexible, balanced, faster, stronger, everything. I'm just grateful that I was able to have the opportunity to work uh, within our system and get to where I needed to be.
3: Yeah, because a lot of players coming out of high school figure you got to be bigger to be better. And you said earlier this year that you don't have to be do not bigger to be, to be better, better, right?
2: Yeah, not at all. Not at all. I think uh, football is a technique driven sport. I think technique, uh, not as a a lot more than size, especially at my position, you need size. But I think technique matters a, a ton. I think uh flexibility, f- flexibility matters a ton. Just being able to get in and out of your stance and uh getting to to blocks, where that's a, a nine technique, six technique, anything like that, I think uh you definitely got to have some great technique. But yeah, to all the young dudes out there, if you listening, you not you do not have to be the biggest person in the world. That is not what you need to do to play college football. Just working on technique and it's gonna work out for you. All right, so what, what food item
3: was part of your diet before you got to Cal that is no longer in your diet on a consistent basis? You can cheat every once in a while, right? Uh-huh. But it's not consistent.
2: <laughs> Man, I'm going to say ice cream. Big ice cream guy. Everybody on the team knows <laughs> JT, some ice cream around. Man, you might have to hide it from him. But uh, <laughs> big ice Big ice cream guy, definitely try to stay away from it. It's very hard for me, very, very hard. But uh anything dairy, really. Yeah. I don't know why. It just as a kid, I just love dairy, love milk. Switch to almond milk actually. But if it's a Sunday or ice cream around, I'm definitely gonna try to get it. But I try to stay away from it as much as I can.
3: It's interesting you say that because your initials are JT. When I was growing up in western Pennsylvania, we had a custard place. There was a couple of miles outside of oh. town, and that was my favorite place in the world. It was called J.T.'s. Okay. J.T.'s Custer. I've mean, even got a T-shirt <laughs> uh, in my house that has J.T.'s. Now I don't wear it anymore because it's red.
2: Okay, okay. so yeah, I can't yeah. wear we the can't thing. Do that. We can't do that.
3: You can't be doing <laughs> that thing. But yeah. I, you know, the J.T. I wish, you know, I was back there on occasion. I had one of those mm-hmm. triple scoop ice cream cones from JT's with maybe
2: some sprinklings on it as well, right? Yeah, 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 man. That sounds good. I like uh, – <laughs> it's a lot of good organic ice cream spots. I actually like Italian ice a lot too. That's not dairy, but oh. that's some of, my, some, some, some of my enjoy here and there also. But definitely try to stay away from that as much as I can because it's something that's very tempting for me. <laughs> it
3: is <laughs> tempting, and you have to stay disciplined as best as possible, and it's hard yeah, to right now Um, Hopefully after that game – a big win in the big game, you can maybe slink over to one of these places and keep it away from your roommates and grab a little ice cream or a slushy or
2: something like that as a roll. Oh, oh, yeah, oh yeah definitely. Game. Definitely. <laughs> we, we win this game, I might give me about five scoops. If I'm <laughs> the, you know, middle of the day, you got a 2 o'clock game. You know what I'm saying? you going to get out of here a little bit early. You're going to have a win. Yeah, ice cream might just be the – a great way to celebrate. You know, uh, if my teammates listening, you know, help help JT get some ice cream. Let, let's do that this week.
3: There you go. All right, well, that'll be the motto this week. Help yeah. JT get ice cream. <laughs> Maybe we can get some quickly get some JT ice cream shirts, right? Yeah, sorry, and pass yeah, those around. Get <laughs> those going. All right, man. Hey, I appreciate your time tonight. I know you got a lot on your plate, no pun intended. Uh Have a great game against the Cardinal. <laughs> Hopefully get in that end zone, doggone it. Uh, we'd like to see you celebrate a little bit. Have a great game, and uh, we'll see you on the sidelines Saturday afternoon.
2: Definitely. Thank you. Go Bears. Have a great day. You got it.
3: Jermaine Terry, the sophomore tight end from Richmond, California, hoping to play big this week in the big game against the Stanford Cardinal. Yes, sir. Joining me now, longtime friend and uh, broadcaster, John Platts, a Stanford grad, played basketball for the Cardinal, longtime broadcaster in the booth uh, for the Cardinal, and John, we appreciate you taking your time. You actually have a full-time job, so I know this is eating into your work, your work time, as opposed to somebody like me that doesn't have to do that kind of stuff anymore. But we appreciate it. Always good to to talk to you. Tell us a little bit about this uh, this Stanford team. It's been a, a team that um, has played some really good games, lost a couple of heartbreakers. I think you know Oregon State in particular was a tough one on that that last big play. Arizona State was a, a nice bounce-back win. You beat Notre Dame at Notre Dame. Tell us what we can expect to see from Stanford Saturday.
1: Well, uh, good question, Chad. Nice to be with you. This is a highlight of, of my day. We're, we're speaking a couple of days before the, the kickoff of the 125th big game, but um, I, I think you hit upon something that I hadn't really thought about in, in anticipation of our, of our chat. And that, that's that Oregon state game. Cause if, if Stanford had gotten that, that would have given them some oomph. now they as it happens the Cardinal did win the next couple games they 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 went to Notre Dame and and, and, and was and were able to get past uh, the Irish that was a that was a huge deal after the you know the, the SC you know SC home at Washington at Oregon I mean that was a gauntlet and Stanford did not play well and and lost by by big margin so Stanford had a momentum deficit. Um, had the next game was Oregon State after those three, and I think that would have sort of really, really given them a reservoir for some of these, you know, late October, November games, which have unfortunately repeated the pattern of the of the late September, early October, you know, USC, uh, Washington, Oregon gauntlet. So, um, Oregon State game I think was 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 key as far as you know, momentum deficit. The win win at Notre Dame. You know, 16 to 14 was followed by the 15 to 14 against Arizona State. So they were razor thin, but they they were W's. Um, but Stanford, Todd, has uh, been afflicted by injury. Uh, it's it's happened, uh, not the pandemic year, but the other three years since 2019. And it's been concentrated in position groups. That's the problem. In 2019, that was the worst of the year, where I want to say there were 30 guys out by the time of the 12th game. Um, but, but early on in that year, the, the offensive line was really hit. Um, last year it was the inside linebackers and wide receivers concentration of injuries. And this year, uh, as I think everybody who follows the league closely knows, the running back room has just been decimated. I mean, Stanford's starting running back for the 125th big game will be Mitch Lieber, who three weeks ago uh was a, 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 a scout team defensive back. He's been he's been a defensive player ever since he came to Stanford a couple of years ago from Laguna Hills. Uh you know, a, 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 a an eager kid you know, here I am, coach, I'll run through a wall for you. Uh, but he is what he is. So, um, and then, and there's not, there's essentially no depth behind him. So it's, 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 it's the, the running back position group thing has been, uh, has really hamstrung Stanford, I think. Um, offense has been the issue here in the last few weeks. And you just, you look at it, running back and it just affects everything else. Teams know you got to throw um, that sort of thing. So um, I expect, I, I think Cal and Stanford, this is not unlike, Games, Todd, that you and I who go back a ways remember from the 1980s, for example, where you'd have a Cal or Stanford team capable of getting the big win, but you get to late November and each has three wins or four wins or two wins or whatever, um, and you have a very competitive game. I expect there'll be it'll be a very competitive game because both teams are very very hungry for a win.
3: And both teams beat up. You mentioned Stanford's injuries, Cal in the same boat, uh, particularly in the defensive line. They lost five of their you know top seven defensive linemen. Either before or during or or this week. So it's it's gonna to be tough for both. But you know what? It's an opportunity for somebody to step up and, and and get a chance to play. You mentioned offensively, Tanner McKee came into the year highly regarded. And I think most people that, that watch him know that he's been hindered by you know injuries either in the offensive line, you know, a couple of years or certainly this year at the running back position. But um give us your take on where he's at right now because to me, it's a little bit like Jack Plummer, in that they've become human pinatas. I mean, I remember the Washington game, Stanford, you know, went up and played the Huskies and he he just got beat up up there. And Jack has gone through that same thing. So these quarterbacks, as much as they'd like to stay in the pocket, as much as they'd like to step up and put everything into the throw, I I think they both become a little bit tentative. Tell us about Tanner McKee and how he's handled the, the physicality, the that he's gone against each week.
1: Yeah, good, 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 good question. Uh, he definitely has not had a lot of clean pockets um, for for various reasons. Again, top four running backs out. I mean, EJ Smith, Emmett Smith's kid, who was the number one, really good in, in pass protection. Casey Philkins, who I know you know from from your original state of Oregon uh, uh, or your professional original state uh, of Oregon, um, you know, does everything solidly. And it really become a real good pass blocker. So you all of a sudden you you know you miss that you miss that piece. Um, sometimes you got to bring another tight end to block, and that's one less receiver in the in the progression. Tanner McKee, Toddie, as you know, is six is six and 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 two thirty. I mean he's a he's a big target. So he's he's not a pinata, but he's been flushed. He's been forced to slide. He's been forced to make throws kind of you know across his body. I mean it's just not been go Back to the platform a la Tom Brady or, or you know, Andrew Luck or, or whoever you want to, whatever Stanford quarterback or other quarterback you want to um, talk about. Brady, of course, NFL prototype, but um, so he's been forced to make uh, off, more off script and improvisational plays. He's made some of them, um, but if you look the last couple of weeks, no, no touchdown throws, yeah. um, no, no interceptions. He's been stuck on 11 touchdowns and, and seven interceptions. For the last, I want to say three weeks. And I mean, Tanner McKee's capable of much more than that. Now, there's an interesting stat out there, Todd, I'll call your attention to pro football focus. Um the the stat of the of the the quote draftable quarterbacks, uh um first, second, third round, you know, lists of, I don't know, 10, 10, 12. And they they have a stat of throws of more than 10 yards into tight windows. Now, I don't know how they define that and his percentage is like 52 percent and the next one i want to say is 20 something so the throw talent is tremendous um when he has either a clean pocket or something close to that i mean like he can slide he can roll out to either side really um but if you disrupt him enough then it then it becomes problematic and there's been a little too much disruption here in recent in recent weeks
3: well it's certainly been the year of the quarterback in our league and and most of the quarterbacks in our league are our portal guys that have come from another school, Caleb Williams, Bo Nix, uh, Michael Penix. I mean, these guys are all having phenomenal years. And so uh, to me, it'll be interesting to see who's like the number, you know, the offensive player of the year in our league, because I think he can make a case for, you know, Cam rising. Now he got hurt for a couple of games. That's one thing, but it has been the year of the quarterback. And quite frankly, it's been kind of fun to, to watch from the you know outside because this is more of what we expect from Pac-12 football, right? The old oh, days, they're scoring points, and and now if you don't score you know, forty points, it's like you you don't win many games in this league.
1: Great question again, um, Todd. And I, you know, I again I go back four or five decades with this stuff. I mean, I, when John Elway was 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 playing for Stanford, you had Tom Ramsey at at UCLA, at Gail Gilbert at Cal, who um, was terrific, obviously a a future pro, Tom Tunnicliffe at Arizona. Um, So, you know, there have been, you know, years here and there, the last four decades or so, where there's been a cluster of great quarterbacks. You nailed it. I mean, I, it's not, you know, I'm analyzing with my head because obviously with my heart, it's hurt Stanford, but I I watch Bo Nix. Um, I had no idea he had the foot speed he does, for example. He had an 80-yard run against Stanford where he wasn't touched. All right. So I wow. Um, but he was making he was making some dime throws. Now he's not Tanner McKee. I mean, it's not seven-step drop and you know, the whole gamut of throws, but you know, just a sprint out, throw a 15-yarder on an out pattern it, right there. Michael Penix, beautiful touch, and maybe the best deep thrower in the conference. I mean, in terms of production, Caleb Williams. Todd and, and just just the dynam the, the dynamism of the offense. I mean, I I had trouble kind of following their mesh plays. I mean, they just it's so creative. They use space so well. Does does Lincoln Riley? But Williams is really accurate. Williams is is surprisingly accurate. And then Cam Rising last week, Stanford playing at Utah last week. I've always kind of thought you know playmaker. You know he can he can make the tough run. He'll make a throw, but not you know not a not a great arm, not a great range of throws he had some throws there. I thought, whoo, I mean, there's the, you know, it was, it was pretty good. So whether it's improvement or whether these coaches, when they eye the portal, they really look deeply into, into what, what they're getting. I mean, the, the quarterback talent has been something to behold. No question.
3: Yeah, no question. So where were you and what are your memories of the play? I know you were involved in the E the 60 broadcast that was on this week at uh, the play. So Tell us what you remember about that and your reaction.
1: Well, I'm glad you were asking. So uh, I was playing, I was uh, playing my second to last year at Stanford. I was playing basketball and this was November. So we, you know, we're getting ready for our first game. So we were scrimmaging heavily. I think we had a, we had a public scrimmage at, at at a San Jose high school where a lot of kids came out. I want to say it was the Thursday of big game week in 1982 and. So we were given Friday and Saturday off, as I recall, which was unusual. Um, and so the Friday evening, no sorry, we had practice Friday, but it was a lighter practice. And I had Friday evening off. My brother uh, at the time, he was a cross player, Cal, and it was a Fiji, beautiful brick house on the corner there of... Uh, I forget the two streets there. Piedmont, I think is one of them. And mm-hmm. he invited me to, to, to crash up, up, up at his fraternity house. And then I would, I would go to the game the next day. And of course I had my Stanford ticket in the student section that's in the Southwest corner. And in those days, Stanford students really came to the big game. So I, I sat there and I, I watched it and I, you know, I had a lot of classmates that were on the team and uh, Stanford had had a great year up until the end of October. They had beaten Ohio state on the road when Ohio state was 12th ranked, you know, Elway, Took them 80 yards in the final minute. Stanford beat number two Washington on October 30th at, at uh, Stanford Stadium. Great day. Stanford's five and three. Next week, home game Arizona. Winning going into the fourth quarter, Arizona scores four touchdowns and and wins the game. You know, uh, Vance Williams was was their, was their star. A theme during the L. A. years was the defense. You know, wasn't all that. Next week, go down to UCLA. Uh, first game in the Rose Bowl. UCLA playing there. Tom Ramsey, quarterback. Stanford loses thirty eight thirty five. You know, a lot of offense. Stanford defense you know coughed it up late so the big you know Sanford is, is reeling but Stanford gets if it, they can get the win they go to the Peach Bowl right John Elway finally gets to go to a bowl game right and um so you know we, there's something to play for and 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 it was it was a competitive game as as we as we talked about Gail Gilbert made some terrific throws you know low scoring um there was a touchdown that uh, that Merritt Ford caught in the first half that he one hopped into his gut in the end zone. The officials missed. There was no replay. So Stanford, those of us that were there, remember that. If we have a beer sometime, I'll give you more intel on that. But, you know, a close game. Cal had it won. It's fourth and 17 at the 10 with 55 seconds to go. Elway in maybe his signature play as a Stanford player, you know, we're, Stanford's dead, right? He goes back to pass seven step drop. The pocket's there. Throws it to Emil Harry, thirty-five yards downfield. Four Cal players are right there, and Harry just goes up, goes up in the air, and high points it. I mean, it was a dart. And you know, then there's a pass to Mike Tolliver, and then my daughter has a run, and all of a sudden, Mark Harden comes, Mark Harmon, the kicker comes onto the field, kicks it. You know, eight seconds left, right? That whole issue about how much time's left. So I'm, I'm sitting there with my, with my roommate Peter Ross, and and you know we're we're celebrating, man. We're going to a bowl game. We're going to be six and five, just Elway's second winning season out of four. And so that you know the celebration penalty but like nothing ever happens on a squib kick right and so you know we're watching this and kind of watching the band because every, every, we're all we're, we're you know we're still cheering we're jumping up and down because we're four seconds away from from triumph and uh so the Harmon kicks it off and i i watch this and you know i see a couple passes and, you know all right the guy's going to go down once the, the 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 lateral was sort of midstream and they started to come the other way um, and Richard Rogers looked every bit like the court, the option quarterback he was. I you know I, when you're up in the corner, I was very high up. You you sort of see where all the other all the players are, and you see that that Cal has an opportunity now. Forget about the band. I mean, the, 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 the there was an open field to Rogers right, and he used it. And and the Cal players that whole the whole thing about Joe Cap and the Sunday grab, you know, keep away or whatever they did the careful uh, young man knew what they were doing. And so there, there you, I, I watched the window there and I'm watching this. I'm going, Oh my word, this is so creative. If they, if they get, get, if they get in the end zone with this thing, I don't know how they can say no to it because it's so remarkable. You know, you it's a human, it's a human thing. How, how do you score a touchdown off a squib kick? You just don't do it. Um, and so I'm watching this and I see the band, but you know, the, Merritt Ford did w- did the perfect thing. Uh, he, uh the second to the last Cal player to touch it. He waited until there were about four players to embe- embe- you know, envelop him. And he tossed it over his shoulder. He kind of believing that there'd be a, a cow player right there. And Kevin Moan was. And 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 he had a pursuer or two, but Moan was running hard. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he, you know, he it wasn't just jogging. I mean, he ran through the band and ran into Gary Tyrell. And and I I looked at Pete Ross. And I said, they're gonna, you know, I I don't care about flags or whatever they're going to give it to them. They just, they just are because this thing is so remarkable. And it took a couple of minutes. As I remember, and I was watching Mike R, the punter. Cause he seemed to be the one Cal player who was right hanging around the three or four officials that were talking. And I was just kind of watching for him, his reaction. And he was the first guy to turn around and just start, you know, jumping. And I thought that's it. They're giving it to him. So after the game, Todd, just to wrap this up or this question up is, is I went back to my brother's fraternity house in Fiji. Um, and I, I was there about five minutes and there were there were some, you know, happy, slightly inebriated Cal Fiji's and other folks in, in just a jam packed fraternity house because it's, you know, it's a half a half a block from the stadium. Yeah. And uh, how but hey, you're, you're Jim Platz's brother. Oh, who was that play? Wasn't that something? And I'm like, I got to get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> but but um, I will never forget it. Yeah. Um, And it's kind of, you know, I I feel for the the John Elways and whatnot, but look, they've had good lives and it's, you know, it was, it was, it was a tough day, but to be, to be a part of the, one of the two or three greatest or most memorable plays in college football history. I mean, that, that's something.
3: Yeah. And, uh, you know, everybody will relive that uh, in their own way this week and certainly on Saturday as well.
1: Well, I, I like to add, I mean, I hope, I don't know what Cal's plans are for Joe Starkey, but, but. You know he's been such the voice of Cal football. I mean with, with intonation with his heart and and for such you know the, the longevity says it all, right forty eight years. Yeah. I hope there's there's something for him on Saturday I mean I'm sure, I know the TV cameras will be up on him and and maybe you know something I'm not asking you to disclose it here, but just the fact that he's going out on the fortieth anniversary essentially of something that certainly has made him a a never- to-be forgotten name in college football and and to have just, his unique way of broadcasting, never more inevitable than on that play, uh, I think is really cool.
3: Yeah. And then the following week, uh, everybody will celebrate Joe's final game. That'll be against UCLA. But th- th- this one's kind of the culmination of it all. You know, the big game, number 125, which is a you know a milestone number into itself is why it just uh, kind of all comes together and should be a, a great atmosphere. Hey, John, always good to talk to you. I really look forward to seeing it at the game. we got a lot of things to catch up on, no question about that. Appreciate your time and uh, have a good call with Tim Roy.
1: Looking forward, uh, Todd, to seeing you on Saturday, and it will be a fun day, no matter what happens.
3: Yeah, it always is. John Platts on the call for the Stanford Cardinal, the Bears, and the Stanford Cardinal will be on the air with the Bud Light Tailgate Show beginning at 1:30. They kick kickoff shortly after 2:30. The Bears against the Stanford Cardinal. Until then, I'm Todd McKim. Thanks for listening. As always, and as always, go Bears. This has been Bear in Mind, the official podcast of Cal Athletics, with your host, Todd McKim. The preceding has been a Learfield presentation of the California Golden Bears Sports Network.
2: One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader.